0: But then tragedy also like exposes yeah. what I am willing to not just do for a check, but what and not only what I'm not just willing to do for a check, what I'm willing to do for free and not even just that. But what do I want to do? Like, what do I not want to live for if I'm not doing it? So mm. what do I mean by that? I tell people three, three questions you can ask yourself. What do you want to get paid to do? That might help you design, you know, like your gifts. Like if there's something you could, anything you can do and get paid for, like what would it be? Right. Mm. So people say things. Usually yeah. that's motivated by how much money they can make from it. So that might not be a great question to ask. So then you ask your question, you ask the question, what would I do if I wasn't getting paid for it? Which could mm. imply you would do this because you enjoy it so much. You don't even need to get paid for That can be a great question to ask because it, starts to tap into what you love, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's your gift.
1: Yeah.
0: The third question I would tell people to ask is, what would you not want to, like, if you you could not do it, you would not want to live. Like, Mm. what is that thing for you? Mm. Like, if I'm not doing this, there's no reason for me to even be on this earth. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, I would be utterly just wasting my life. And I think what that does is it helps you to look inward not just the thing that you like to do the thing that you feel like you can do for free but the thing that you're like this is literally tied to my very existence when i'm not doing this i am just life is bland life is black and white like you know there's no life there's no vibrance i don't feel like i'm having any kind of impact i feel like i'm just kind of going along to get along like if if you're not doing the thing that like when you do it you feel like you are literally walking in your zone of genius is what some people call it that's the question that i would start asking and i think tragedy led me to start asking that third question
1: Uh, uh, i searched all over the world struggling to find it then i met my boy david e simons yeah i searched all over the world struggling to find it then I met my boy, David E. Simon Yeah, discover my gift, yeah, yeah. Discover my gift, yeah. Welcome to another episode of How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. I'm honored and delighted and excited to have today's coach on the line, Coach KB. Coach KB, with more and more adults struggling to build deep, meaningful connections, Kristen, aka known as KB Newton, has made it her mission to champion deep, meaningful connection with a practical framework called. Heart Convos. KB is a connection coach, consultant, artist, and internationally known TEDx speaker. She is the author of the book Friend Tips, a practical advice for friendships. And KB looks forward to having conversations that matter with you. Hundreds of thousands have been impacted by her Heart Convos framework and are finding deep, meaningful connections successfully. And you can too. Thank you so much for joining the show, KB. It's truly an honor to have you.
0: Thank you for having me, David. I really look forward to this conversation and how it's gonna unfold.
1: Absolutely. So KB, let's dive in. Um okay. I wanna know the journey, right? You 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 have I I call, I look at you as a multi-talented person, just just with multiple giftings and and sometimes when people have multiple giftings, it's It can be very hard especially as a creative because you can do so many things and you can do so many things well so take me through the journey i want to go i want to start from childhood you know to to, to childhood to to where you are today what what kind of led you to this path
0: man uh it's so funny whenever i get the opportunity to be a part of a podcast um and they asked me the story, the journey. It's so random, it feels like. And so if people are willing to kind of trek along, I think it'll be quite entertaining. But um, first thing I like to tell people, I don't know how many people are listening are are military brats, but I am a military brat. So my mom got married to a military man when I was four. And um, we moved to okinawa japan and i tell people all the time like i had two dads growing up because my biological father um he wasn't present and he taught me a lesson that people can leave for no other reason than they want to and then i had a second dad that my mom married when i was four and he was a military man and he taught me that nothing lasts forever just because the the nature of military life is that you're here and then you're not right we're transitioning all the time we're starting over in new places all the time. And that was my life until the end of middle school. And so um, being able to see most of the world that most people don't get to see in in a lifetime before I was 13 is a big deal, right? And it really does like shape you. So that was a lot of my childhood, moving, culture, travel, planes, all the things. And then we get back to the States and um, I'm trying to figure out like, how do I, where do I fit? Like, how do I adapt? You know, school in in the States is not the same as school overseas. And so just trying to find my way was, was a little bit challenging, but I always prided myself on being able to walk into any room and figure it out just because my life had required me to up until that, that point. And so I told people in school, I wasn't like super, super popular. And then I wasn't like, awkward and isolated like I was just kind of like a floater like I could kind of get along with everybody you know and um that led I I went to a creative school for the arts because I had been a musician Uh, my mom was a jazz singer when we were stationed overseas I started playing trumpet in fifth grade um my dad was a firefighter by profession so I only saw him every other day um again just again all these little random elements were kind of shaping who I was and, uh, we went, I grew up going to church. I don't, I wouldn't say I started a relationship with Jesus until college, but I do remember doing mission trips in high school. And again, just seeing like God in ways that I just was like, we don't see him like this in the States. It's something going on overseas. Like these people got it. Like they, they have figured out God in a way that I don't experience on a Sunday morning. And I remember always being challenged can, can you, by that.
1: Can you, can you double click on that? Can you double click on that? Cause I want to, I want to, I, I want to explore that a little bit what do you what do you mean by that What don't see, see yeah well
0: it, it's twofold okay yeah. so growing up on base right or in a foreign country we would go to church during the christian english speaking block versus like in the states there's a church on every corner you can go wherever you want it's kind of like just choice <laughs> you know there's denominations all kinds of stuff it's like hey we went to church from 9 to to 11 and then after us the koreans came in like it wasn't like a oh this you know denomination or whatever it was like this english speaking and it's christian service like that's it and so i had a pretty solid foundation of like you know god having a plan for my life and me being a sinner and needing a savior and all things but it was just like yeah i don't know if i want to own that as my you know for me yeah and i was also in all these little relationships and thought i had found love and all things so i was really double life in it anyway so I get back to the States and I had the opportunity in high school to go on a few mission trips to Kenya. And I remember thinking to myself, like, God is not just something to, to put around your neck or something to just do on Sunday. Like God is literally the source of these people's hope every single day. And I just saw it in a way that I was like, I don't, man, and I also saw a church on Sunday happen in a room or in a space that didn't have any walls like it was like tarp and tin over us being held up by like these wooden planks and that's it and all the sides were exposed and you're talking about hundreds of people just gathering for worship on a sunday singing to the top of their lungs i was like yeah we don't do this we are in a full-blown air-conditioned building sitting in pews (laughs) And we just kind of tink tinking, like we just like playing, like you know, on Sunday. Like if I feel like it, I will. If I, you know, if I don't, I won't. And I just remember in tenth grade being like, "Yeah, I don't want this. I don't want this. Whatever they had going on in Kenya, I'm trying to figure that out. This, wow. this sucks." <laughs> mm. Was my is is a thought. Yet yeah. still, I wasn't ready to like surrender my will to God. Like I was still like, "Yeah, but I still want to be in these relationships and look for you know satisfaction and other things." And, all, all the th- all the stuff so I graduate I go to college and like every well most people who kind of grow up in a structured home that has boundaries you want to like push those boundaries and so my freshman year I pushed those boundaries and I your girl was wilding out okay <laughs> um, I mean if I was going somewhere I was gonna go in a handbasket and I was like oh we, we yeah. must have these doors wide open and so my RA my freshman year was a Christian and she would invite me to these like what they called impact group meetings like a campus ministry and I knew what she was about so I just kept avoiding her like every time I saw her I'd be like oh no no I'm not I'm not ready for that yet I'm trying to go trying to get in before 10 so I can get in free I'm trying to go do you know do all the things and I did it for about a year like avoided her relationship drama Getting caught up in stuff and mess, you know, the whole drinking, smoking life, like just trying to find a sense of belonging on at a predominantly white university, Virginia Tech. And so, um, I remember being invited to this winter conference. It was like the December of two thousand and four in D.C. This ministry called Impact and I remember going to the conference I be wanting to go to the conference I was like oh I mean a week in D.C. like why not like like not really like oh yeah I want to be on fire for Jesus it was like no like why not and so I went and when I tell you I had never seen people who looked like me my age worship God in a way that felt so genuine and authentic I was like this ain't church this feels like something else Mm. I was like man and I went to a, a workshop a man named James White was sharing the gospel in a way that I'd never heard. And I was like, Jesus like really died for me. Like would have just died for me. Like, you know, it just kind of, it it, it sunk in. And I tell people a lot of times that when it comes to the gospel, when it comes to faith, like it's not taught, it's caught, you know? Like Mm -hmm. you can hear the gospel 78 times, your mama, your grandma, Mm -hmm. whoever. And then one day it just hits you like, oh, this is like relevant to me. This is true. This is, This is not, you know, this is not just a good idea. Like, this is life, right? And I had that experience in 2004 um, on the floor in the back of a ballroom. And so that was the beginning of the end for me <laughs> in that mm. I passionately started to pursue what God wanted for my life there. And I was trying to figure out, like, what the I was like, God, ah, Well, I'm super animated and I'm personable and I-, I love music, but yet I'm here to, you know, be an architect and I feel like, my, my biological father's probably a creative and artist but i was raised by a military man so there's an artist in me that wants to just float and fly away but i was raised in structure and told, you know you need a plan a b and c for everything and so i have the best of both words worlds happening in my brain but i'm also at war in my brain all the time <laughs> and, so, and so i'm uh yeah that, that's kind of how how that start like started that's the setup to how I started even asking the question around, mm-hmm. you know, how, how do, what, what are my gifts? Like, is it just what I'm good at? Is it just what I'm talented in or is there something underneath it? And, and I did discover years wow. about three years later, that there was something underneath it.
1: Wow. That's beautiful. Um, can you, can you highlight on uh, this whole dynamic of, okay, so you're you're in college, you're pursuing architecture. Uh, um is that correct? And yeah. and you've got this artistic drive in you that you just you, you didn't decide. it's just in you. Um and what's happening there like and then, and then take us to that next step of where you said what happened 3 years later as well.
0: Sure. Um so I went to Virginia Tech to be an architect. Um I had my whole life loved like seeing the, the structures that I grew up seeing, again, being a military brat, led me to just have this intrigue around structures and buildings and making them beautiful. And then I got to Virginia Tech and then in that first semester, I realized like I am not as passionate about math as I need to be in order to be an architect. Like I love the idea and the beauty and the creative side of it, but math is not math and for me right now. And so I had to then withdraw from the, the the program like pursuing the program and i was like well what, what am i going to do so i just started making up stuff like well I'll, I'll be undeclared for right now and i'll just take classes that are interesting to me so i ended up taking like classes in psychology and um religion and just because i was just genuinely interested in those things and i went undeclared until my senior year <laughs> like i just was like and i had tr- what's funny is i tried to get into the communications department three times i got rejected three times Uh, They were like, yeah, no, we don't want you. I was like, guys, I'm your girl. Like when it comes to PR, communication, like relationships, like it's me. And they were like, no. And so God shut that door. And I remember my senior year thinking to myself, I'm not staying an extra year. Like help me Lord, because I don't know. And I went to my advisor and she goes, it looks like there's been a theme in the classes you've been taking around sociology, religion, and psychology. It looks like you could get your degree in interdisciplinary studies and just combine all these minors. Uh, All these, you know, focuses as minors. And I was like, okay. So that means I'm going to graduate on time? Like, that's really all I was like concerned about. Like, will I graduate on time? What's happening in the background of me not really knowing what I'm going to graduate with is I'm involved in this campus ministry. I am super passionate about Jesus, like just on fire, trying to share my faith with everybody. I'm trying to go back to all the people who I was like clubbing with and partying with and be like, yo, like there's life outside of this. Like, I'm just, you know, on a high, and yeah. my spring breaks, I would do these missions trips with this organization called Crew, and they would do this thing called Here's Life Inner City. And I, I think my sophomore year, I went to Queens. My junior year, we went to Detroit. My senior year, I think we went to Chicago to Cabrini Green, which isn't even a a place anymore in Chicago. And we would serve these these project housing areas and share the gospel and feed people and buy groceries, and it was this thing. And I and I remember. Every time I would do one of those trips, the Lord would just like cause some type of passion to like leap in me around mm-hmm. like the city and people, the city and people. I just want to be in the city and I want to be serving people like people in the city, relationships in the city. Like that's what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And so we're at my senior, we're at my senior year. My yeah. my advisor's like, you can graduate on time if you wanted to, you know, if you want the your degree. I was like, great. And so we're on our way to graduation and then April, um, comes around and there's a shooting on our campus. So a lot of people don't know if
1: you were around the time that the, the Virginia Tech shooter, oh snap. So you were on campus.
0: Yeah. So, um, at that time, you know, we only had Columbine as a reference for mass shootings. Right in academic spaces. Now, unfortunately, it's nothing to wake up and to see that there's been a shooting out of school, you know, which is unfortunate. Um, But yeah, my senior year, a gunman comes on campus. He kills 32 people, including himself. And I remember having dropped my best friend off at class that day. I was leaving campus, they were shutting everything down. All of the cell phone towers were gridlocked. Nobody could get a call in, nobody could get a call out. It was just like chaos ensued. And you just are trying to get in contact with everybody that you know, like, hey, there's a shooter on campus, like where y'all at? Like, what building are you in? He's in Torrey, like, you know, like just trying to communicate to people what's going on. in Virginia Tech, the way that the academic side is built, there are these tunnels that kind of like connect some of the buildings. And so I just remember my friends, people in the ministry, like trying to figure out like, where to go? Where is he? All things. And so that happens. People are dying. The count is going up. I'm right there, but I'm also watching through the news. I'm not in a building. I'm not in an academic space, but I had just dropped my best friend off in a building that he was in. And it just was like, what is happening? And I remember the whole world came to our campus after it was over. Like the whole world, like trying to offer hope. People from every belief of anything were there trying to offer people perspective and hope for how to navigate such a traumatic experience and let me tell you like it's very traumatic and I don't know if you don't if you're not already anchored in something I don't know how you process like the only thing that kept me sane was the fact that I had a belief system a worldview already about God and his goodness and so that kept me from going adrift but it was really hard still like working through that mentally and emotionally and not allowing that fear to grip you and keep you from living your life and so that was three weeks before graduation and I just remember like I just what am I going to do and I didn't get accepted to the the grad schools I applied to so I'm processing that I'm processing the shooting I'm processing life I'm like what is life and I get a I get a phone call um I get a phone call from a guy who works at a ministry about 45 minutes away. And he tells me, hey, we are a a ministry in Roanoke, Virginia that services inner city students. We have after-school programs, we have programs for teen moms. We do large group meetings once a week. And everything about what he was saying, I was like, man, this sounds so interesting. But he was just, he was calling me to recruit volunteers for the next year. And so he was like, I heard you're over this ministry. Um, You know, like you're one of the leaders, would you be willing to put me in contact with whoever's gonna be there next year? And I was like, yeah, but can you tell me more about this, this opportunity? And he told me, and I was like, man, I, I really think that that would be something I'd love to do full time. Are y'all hiring? Mm. And he said, oh, yeah, we're always hiring. I was just calling about volunteers. And so I think the Lord really used the tragedy to open my eyes to asking or opening my heart to asking the question, like, what am I here for? And what do I really want to do? So, again, mm. how do you discover your gifts? Sometimes you discover your gifts by zooming out and looking at themes and patterns in your life. So for me, being a military brat, being born to, you know, in a situation, single mom, dad abandoned, she remarries, we're overseas, like all of those little experiences are shaping who I am, how I am, and why I am. Then I think about this kind of tension of wanting to live a certain way that didn't align with my belief systems that were being passed down to me and then finally coming to this you know, like, oh, this is mine. I want to own this thing. That prompted me to ask new questions about what I, what am I good at? And is that something God has given me or is, is there something else? But then tragedy also, like, exposes what I am willing to not just do for a check, but what and not only what I'm not just willing to do for a check, what I'm willing to do for free. And not even just that, but what do I want to do? Like, what do I not want to live for if I'm not doing it? So mm-hmm. what do I mean by that? I tell people three three questions you can ask yourself. What do you want to get paid to do? That might help you decide, you know, like your gifts. Like if there's something you can, anything you can do and get paid for, like what would it be? Right. Mm-hmm. So people say things. Usually yeah. that's motivated by how much money they can make from it. So that might not be a great question to ask. So then you ask your question. You ask the question, what would I do if I wasn't getting paid for? Which could mm-hmm. imply you would do this because you enjoy it so much. You don't even need to get paid for it. That can be a great question to ask because it starts to tap into what you love, but it doesn't yeah. necessarily mean that it's your gift. Yeah. The third question I would tell people to ask is, what would you not want to like if you if you could not do it, you would not want to live? Like mm. what is that thing for you? Mm. Like if I'm not doing this, there's no reason for me to even be on this earth. You know what I mean? Like, I would be utterly just wasting my life. And I think what that does is it helps you to look inward, not just to the thing that you like to do, the thing that you feel like you can do for free, but the thing that you're like, this is literally tied to my very existence. When I'm not doing this, I am just, life is bland. Life is black and white. Like, you know, there's no life, there's no vibrance. I don't feel like I'm having any kind of impact. I feel like I'm just kind of going along to get along. Like, if, if you're not doing the thing that, like, when you do it, you feel like you are literally walking in your zone of genius, is what some people call it. That's the question that I would start asking, and I think tragedy led me to start asking that third question. Wow, wow,
1: that's that's heavy, KB. That's heavy. Uh, um, so take us through this tragedy into triumph now like how you're 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 working i assume you you took the role to work for the ministry um and and what are you discovering about your gift what is that i love the way you phrase that what essentially what would you die for you know uh to be able to to continue to do like you can't live without doing this what did you find out that was for you
0: relationships connection that's what came came to the surface um I graduated that year in 2007 and the ministry opportunity was going to start in the fall so I needed something to do in the summer and I actually ended up going to work for a Christian sports camp called summer's best two weeks city kids and um I remember that six-week experience serving inner city students that would come to this camp for a week in the middle of nowhere to like do sports and love Jesus and all things I realized like, man, like I have not been living my life as vulnerably as I want, right? I, I have been living this kind of facade of a life, this this on the outside, I look okay, but on the inside, I'm not. Um, I had learned to kind of live that way because it felt safe. And this camp was the first space post-graduation that was challenging me to kind of tap in to those vulnerable spaces. And let me tell you, I was like, I'm not here for none of this. Like, I just want to be, here to do my job, all the things, I love the inner city kids, I love inner city, like this is, I'm just here to do that. But the experience was calling me to live more authentically than I thought, I, like I could. And let me tell you, I resisted it for like the first two weeks. I was like, no, no, I'm not about to, I don't know you people. I'm not about to be putting myself out there. I'm not about to be exposing my, my trauma and my hurt and my junk. and. You know, because y'all might reject me, might judge me, like all the things that I had experienced before, and especially in Christian spaces, because in Christian spaces, people don't often know what to do with people's black realities. And so I eventually thought, well, it's going to be harder to resist this entire six weeks than it is to just kind of lean in. So lean in. And I started having conversations. I started putting myself out there. I started confessing. I started um, being honest about where I was and how I was feeling. And for the very first time in my life, I felt like consistently my vulnerability was being rewarded and not punished. And I tell people all the time, when you're in community with individuals who reward vulnerability, it makes you want to do it more. And then you start to see the fruit of vulnerability, which the fruit of vulnerability, the most beautiful fruit I think comes from it is unconditional love, acceptance, belonging, purpose, like all the things. When it's punished, you feel rejection, isolation, judgment. Oh, then you're like, I don't want none of that, so I'm not going to do it. So I had six weeks of this, like, reinforced, like, vulnerability is good. Vulnerability is good. And so I left that camp on a high, like, man, I'm about to go live my life vulnerably. But let me tell you, my whole life did not come to that camp. (laughs) Just me. And so I went to try to do that. And, like, it just started ruining areas of my life because the people in my life were like, we don't, what are you doing? Like, this is not, we don't do that. Wow. and so i went to work for this ministry and i made it i was like hey the people in my life already might not be here for this but i want to model this in front of these kids like as much as possible and so ministry went well that first year um i got a real big reality check on the life uh life of an inner city woman so to speak um of kids in the inner city like it's one thing to go visit somewhere for a, for a week or a few days to do a mission trip it's another thing to completely immerse yourself into a culture and i was and like where, Man. where are
1: you where are you based at this time where are you, are you still
0: this is, this is in roanoke virginia so it's about 45 okay. minutes outside of virginia tech in the valley okay. so virginia tech sits That's on the mountain in, in a town called blacksburg but in the valley is a city called roanoke and yes just there's some really nice parts of roanoke and there's some not so nice parts of roanoke and i was immersed and lived in with like that that one that part of it and so I think one of the biggest things that I started, again, questions I started to ask was how can I bring my experiences around vulnerability and connection and relationships to this space? And the the biggest thing that came out of that time was I had to model it because it was nowhere to be found. I looked for it for a while. And I think a lot of us, when we're trying to discover our gifts, we're looking for someone else to tell us what our gifts are. We're looking for validation. We're looking for permission. We're looking for, like, somebody else has got to be doing this so I can just kind of come alongside but I think in my particular story, God was asking me to trailblaze, to lead out, to model the thing that I had not seen before, right? You know, people talk about being the change that you wanna see. And I was like, yeah, it sounds good, but that that that, that don't feel good, you know? And so choosing vulnerability became a part of how I did life. And I, in the next several years, I would go back to that camp in the summer for a few weeks, come back, try to model it. Go back to that, that camp for a few weeks, come back, try to model it. And it felt like it was kind of being recharged. So like, okay, you can do it, you can do it. And slowly but surely I started to see, you know, communities change. And so um, that was a big revelation for me that, man, I'm willing to forfeit my privilege, my comfortable lifestyle, My parents' approval of me because they were like, we did not send you to Virginia Tech to go work for free at some ministry in the middle of the city. Like, you're supposed to be killing corporate America right now, making all this money, doing all this stuff, living this life that had been modeled before me. And I was like, yeah, I just don't feel like I would be happy in that. And they're like, it ain't about being happy. Like, what you talking about? It's about financial security. It's about, you know, and again, sometimes you discover your gifts and you're like, man, these gifts don't feel monetizable. Like, these these gifts feel like I'm about to be poor and broke for the rest of my life what I discovered is that if you're faithful to the journey, to the work, you will develop the skill to do things that you never thought that you could, you know, if you just stick with it. And I needed that. I needed those seasons. I needed those seasons of um, being poor. I needed those seasons of being alone and isolated to help me to become this person that I, that I am today. And so... That's, that's really the foundation that's the, it, working in ministry was the first time that I realized, like, I really love relationships and I didn't go straight into relationships. Like heart combos wasn't a thing until 2017. I transitioned into ministry, at, uh, in 2007. And so ten, it took 10 years for me to make heart combos, what I did for a living. In the meantime, though, God would continue to set up really random opportunities for me to do relationship and connection in these communities to really help me get to the convictions that I have today. And some of that looked like getting signed to a label and touring. Some of that looked like being the official DJ for the Indiana Pacers for 10 years. Some of that looked like, um, you know, and not, and yeah, it, it just looked different in different seasons. And I just kind of rolled with it whenever the seasons would come.
1: Wow, wow. So so when you when you look at everything, what is your most dominant gift, KB?
0: connect
1: my ability to connect with people ability to connect i love it yeah and and you said you know may or may not know uh one of the phases we talked through in this show is there's three phases and it comes from the the parable of the talents right one had one one had two one had five the one that had one hit theirs in the ground the two and the five that developed theirs um, God showed me some time back, ironically, around two thousand six, two thousand seven, I got this revelation that um there's three three phases to purpose and 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 the three phases are discovery, right? So in the parable of talents, God has shown you what you have. He doesn't say, K B, this is it. Dave, this is what you got. Like this is what I'm giving you. It's like it's discovery. You went through that discovery phase. You you went to college and you know, weren't sure undeclared. Then you went through after that experience, traumatic, traumatic experience of of the Virginia Tech shooter. And, and then all through that and ministry and then the vulnerability camps. and, And there's like, it's just all this discovery. And then you said, you said the key word yourself. The second phase is development. So God takes whatever he's given you that you're supposed to develop it into more. Uh, the one that had two and five developed theirs and the more the one that didn't hit theirs in the ground, you went into development. So this is where you got into the DJing and and the other uh, your heart convos and the businesses that you've developed. So if you could just speak to <clears throat> and, and then we'll talk about the last phase, which is distribution. So God expects us to discover, develop and distribute because you don't develop all this gifting. You don't develop all this resource for yourself. Right. It's never for you. God never creates for you. It's for you to distribute to others and 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 distribution also kind of ties back into marketing money. So we'll talk about that in a second. But I want to dive into the development, what you were developing into as you're doing all of these things. And if you could kind of give us some of that 10 year journey of the development process you were in.
0: Yeah. That's great. I love, I love the wisdom and insight the Lord is giving you around that. I, um, worked for that ministry for four years and randomly got an opportunity to transition from the ministry out here to Indiana where I am, um, to be a part of a band. And so I don't, I'm probably showing some of my age, you know, did he have that making the band show back in yeah. the day? Uh, there was an organization I was a part of that had a making the band for Christians kind of thing. And, um, essentially what we would do is they would they would do these auditions and put this talent together and give them like six weeks to two weeks to learn you know one another and some music and then they would send them on tour for a month just stateside in local inner city like spaces so again the goal was to i mean the thing that attracted me the most to it was that oh i could use my musical gifts and serve people in the inner city you know on this in this little band thing well we did that for a summer And it went really great. It was well received. So much so that uh, two months after we finished our summer tour stuff, I had gone back to work. Everybody went back to their life. And we get a call from a record label that says, hey, we want to sign this group because we've never seen anything like it. The group had a DJ, which I was a DJ at the time. And the only reason I had started DJing is because I was working with inner city students in Roanoke, Virginia, and we would throw parties for them twice a year. And so... I just kind of had picked it up as something that drew students in and they would wow. put their drugs and their weapons down and come into our facility to have a great time, to eat pizza, to dance, to hear the gospel. And then they would they would go. Right. And so yeah. I had been using that gift in that space. But in this band, they were like, hey, would you be willing to be the DJ for this band? And then we'll have like two rappers and some vocalists. And it was just this thing that they had never done before. So it worked so well at this label, this Christian label called Movement Records was like, yo, we want to sign y'all cross movement that's
1: huge i don't think yeah i just wanna i just wanna for for listeners that don't know uh cross movement is a pillar in the christian rap industry like they're like they're like def jam in in yeah. in, 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 in in a christian so like i, I just because not everybody will know that but 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 <laughs> like, like so KB is kind of just uh, that she was kind of like shrug, shrugging it off like that, that's a big deal so i just i just <laughs> want everybody to know that okay that's
0: right, cool. funny. Yeah. yeah, so we get we get signed to Cross Movement, um, but yet we're still on staff with this ministry, so we're, we're trying to navigate both worlds. And we cut records. We tour. We did a tour in Europe. We travel around the world. Like, we are rubbing shoulders with all of the greats. It's so funny. Um, I was just on a call the other day with KB, who's a big Christian rapper here. You know, people talk about Lecrae, and, and, and I'm like, yeah, like, when all those people were developing, I was in the scene, right? And wow. so... Um, yeah like that's that's what we did for the next three or um, i'm sorry five years that's what we did for the next five years now unfortunately that that partnership that relationship ended in in a like a bad vh1 story is what i tell people it feels like a unsung like where are they now kind of thing and um but we had we left the mark in the in the in the movement and we kind of had to transition so people always ask me like well, how'd you land the thing with the pacers and i was like random again like the group stuff was kind of falling apart. I was, I had been, I was married, newly married for like a year at that point. I was trying to figure out like, what am we gonna do? And we were with the label and we went independent and we changed our name from, you know, Level 316 to to Six Way Street. And then we just kind of, you know, we, we, it was a lot going on. And my husband told me, you know, I think you should still pursue DJing. And I was like, it doesn't make any sense. My life just doesn't make any sense. (laughs) Like it all feels so random. And so he tells me, I think you should still pursue it. So for a year, I'm developing. I'm doing gigs for two hundred dollars that are like six hours long. I'm doing baby showers, birthdays, weddings, like all things. Like you know, people are like, "Hey, I got a friend. Like she DJ. She's pretty good." And one woman who was at a baby shower, who worked for Pacers Sports and Entertainment, saw me there, and goes, "I think you are really good. You should audition for the season this year. This is 2013." And I'm like. Uh, I don't play sports. I don't watch sports. I have no loyalty to any team or area because I'm a military brat. We moved all the time. And my dad retired in Virginia, but Virginia don't have a team. So it's just like, I just was like, eh, that's not my scene. My husband is like, are you crazy? You need to take this this audition. So it worked out the way the guy kind of set it up that I was actually supposed to be at a show with the group. And then I wasn't at the show. And then I could do the audition. And so I go into this audition. I pull up under the arena, Bankers Life Fieldhouse at the time. We set up on the floor. We're in this, like, 20,000-person arena, and it's three tables. And I get in, and I see DJ King, who's, like, a big DJ here in Indianapolis, and some other guy, and I was like, hey, I'll go last. And they were like, all right. And, you know, I hear them do their mixes, and we have seven minutes to throw a party. And so I'm thinking, like, I was throwing parties for these inner-city kids. I've been throwing parties for no money for the last year and a half. I was in a group as a DJ where I would throw parties before our shows for five years. Like, so seven minutes is not a long time, but it's a long time if you know what you're doing. And so yeah. I get in there yeah. and I'm like, all right, here we go. You know, at every, you know, we just set it up and we do it. And at the end of it, this guy comes down and he asked me three questions. He goes, hey, you did really great. He was like, I have a question. Do you do a club here? And I was like, I don't. He was like, do you have a residency somewhere? I was like, I don't. He was like, is your calendar open? I said, it is. And he says, um, well, we want to offer you the job to be the official DJ for the Indian Patients. Like, right there. Before I'm even packed up, my son, he was like, you were fantastic. We love you. And the other guys are right there. Like, it was just awkward. And I was just like, sure. And he was like, we'll send you the schedule. And my, I remember my first game, 2013, Chicago versus Indy. Big game, packed out. And I'm like, you got to kill it. Like, this is it. And that was the beginning of the end. Like, for the next 9 seasons. I would serve the Pacers as their official DJ in arena. I would do hundreds of games. <laughs> um I would in wow. and, and what and how do how does that even happen? Like preparation, like you said. Mm-hmm. Um do being faithful in spaces where no one knows who you are. You're not getting paid for it. There's no audience. You just have to be faithful to hone your gift and to give your best everywhere you go and not just that. The relationship part is if I if my character wasn't aligned, if if I have terrible character, I don't care how talented you are, your character keeps you in rooms. I tell people all the time, and this is a famous quote, that your talent will get you into the room, but your character will keep you there. I don't yeah. do, I might do the first season with the Pacers because I'm talented, but I don't do nine seasons back to back with the Pacers because I'm talented. I do that mm-hmm. because I'm a woman of character. I do relationships well. I know how to connect, not just through my music, but with my temperament, my personality, and they would put me on the screen. Like, they weren't even doing that. They would put me on the screen because I would have all this energy and they would, and people would be like, oh my God, that's Adidas, she's a girl. Like, you know, all this stuff. And it just started opening up crazy doors. And then my bosses would start pushing my uh, card to like the Olympics and different brands and companies in the um, in the city. And anytime, in Big Ten, I was the Big Ten DJ for the women's conference for three years, four years in a row. Like, so like, I just started doing all these other Franchises because again they trusted me to go into those spaces and to be consistent to show up the way that I showed up with them you know so they were willing to put their their reputations on the line to send me to places to do really cool things and that was great and even this I went to a game this season they were like hey you want to do all-star next year like you know and I'm thankful that now I'm in a place where I can ask myself the question hey do I want to work the all-star game or do I want to attend the all-star game like I'm in that place now right yeah. but um but it again it just goes to show like when you do relationship and connection well, there's not a room that you can't walk into. And the only reason, Heart, this is where Heart Combos comes in and where the distribution starts because I'm DJKB was a brand that took me all over the world and I loved it and it was amazing. But my husband and I were married five years before we had our daughter. And in 2017, I got pregnant with her. I just knew the patients were gonna fire me. I had to work for them for like five or six seasons at that point. I was like, hey guys, I'm gonna be real pregnant, like real pregnant this season. Like I can't hide it. And they were like, yeah, we don't care. Like, it's okay. And I'm like, y'all, you don't want a (laughs) real pregnant woman DJing for the pay. Like, they're like, no, no problem. I had her February of 2017. They were asking, will you be back by playoffs? Like, by the end of April, do you think you'll be? I said, listen, if I'm coming back for playoffs, I need to be able to nurse her at halftime. Like, we got to figure out what we're going to do with a baby. So she got all this Pacer garb on, got these headphones on. She's in her little, like thing just looking at all the lights I would do my sets and then I would go to the Larry Bird suite and I would nurse her (laughs) and then I would come back out and finish the game and I did that for two years like and I remember in myself feeling just more and more discontent like man like I love this but I feel like I'm missing out on connection with her Mm -hmm. and so because I love connection I'm like forfeiting connection with her to still cultivate connection in these spaces just doesn't feel worth it anymore so mm-hmm. that's when I started asking God, like, is there something else I could do? And I mm-hmm. I went back to asking those three questions. And actually I I think I missed one. It's not just what would you do for free? Um, what would you want to get paid to do? Or what would you want to get paid to do? What would you do for free? You could also ask yourself, what would I pay someone to do? Like, I love doing it so much, I'll give you twenty dollars just to listen to me. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Like if you just, I I will pay you just to
1: sit mm-hmm. here, right?
0: And then you ask that question, like, what What do I not want to like live if I'm not doing, you know? Mm-hmm. And so that was the beginning of the Heart Combos era, and because the answer to that question became relationships. That's wow. what I want to do.
1: KB, this is powerful. So first, for the record, I'm, I've, always, I was always a Level Three Sixteen fan. I had no idea you're. Oh,
0: really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's 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 crazy, right? It's kind of oh. like you know, being a fan of someone and you don't know all the people that are, well, well, that's, that's bananas. Um, uh, secondly, like, wow, literally like, uh, a Joseph, a pit in a palace experience, right? Like you, you stayed down and, 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 you know, we're doing these things for free, you know? Uh, and, and God rewarded you with your d- diligence and your persistency and, you know, just like Joseph, you, you know, was just doing things for other people that are, he's helping and connecting to other people in the prison cell and, and helping the baker and the butler. And you're, you were literally helping the inner city and God said, all right, I'm a, re- it's reward time. You know, I'm gonna reward you. You weren't even looking for it. Right. So it's just amazing, amazing journey you have. Um, and I'm glad to talk about the heart convos piece and Now it's like, it's like all woven together, your whole connection gift. Um, Take us into Heart Convos and what you do there and, and how you serve people through that.
0: Yeah. So Heart Convos was birthed just kind of out of a season of discontent. Again, when you're asking like, how do I discover my gifts? You have to be looking for God everywhere. Mm -hmm. Like if you want to discover what your gifts are, look for God everywhere because you will find him anywhere. And if you look for him anywhere, you'll find him everywhere. Like I tell people all the time, if you're looking for God, you will find him. That's why he says, if you seek, you will find. Right. Um, however, going on a journey to to look into a new space, it, there's apprehension there because it's uncertain. And it's like uncertainty breeds apprehension and apprehension breeds, you know, oh, I don't want to move. Right. And so you kind of just get content and stuck in your own way. And I was like, man, I can't do this. And so. Uh, when I heard from the Lord clearly that he wanted me to start investing in women in their friendships and helping them to, to navigate the tension that naturally exists in those spaces. I was like, okay, what does that look like? So I started vlogging. I started vlogging about being a new mom. Uh started blogging about my thoughts and opinions about friendship and messed around and got a following. Like people were like, Oh, she talking good. So this is in 2018, right? 2018, 2019. I'm just posting random videos online and people are watching them. And honestly, I was still kind of doing some DJ stuff on the side. Like I hadn't completely abandoned that ship. but I just, I was telling myself I'm not going to be here for too much longer. So I didn't know what hard combos would look like, but then somebody I saw somebody say like, oh, make a course. Everybody's making a course. Teach people how to do your thing. And I'm like, well, I'm not teaching people how to make money. Like, can I teach people how to do friendship? And I just was convinced that I could. And so I created some digital products. I started writing books. I started, uh, I did a 14 day friendship challenge that people that just blew up. I didn't, there were a few things that I did that didn't work out well. I did do the traditional course for a little bit. I didn't like it. I had to kind of trial and error some things, but then discovered that, Oh, in a 14 day friendship challenge, friends can do this together for two weeks. They can every day just be committed to this journey, this process. And, um, it, that just took off the only bad thing about it was that i was charging like 27 dollars for the challenge and so i wasn't making any like life-changing money off of it but i saw the, the notoriety grow i saw the following grow and i'm like what is happening like i've got over ten thousand people who just want to hear me talk about friendship this is crazy so that's 2019 2020 comes and pandemic hits pandemic hits and i'm like okay my job is in jeopardy because the nba went to the bubble in florida and i did not go And I'm like, okay, I'm not doing games. Uh, I have all these corporate gigs that have, you know, banquets, fundraisers, galas, all the things that pay really, really good money for a little bit of work. Those are all getting canceled because no one can we can't gather with more than 500 people. And that number keeps going down. Can't gather more than 200 people. Then That number keeps going down. So now people are postponing their live events. They're postponing their things. And I'm like stuck because now I don't have no contracts. So i was like i gotta figure out how to make money so hard combos was just a passion project for the first again going back to the i was doing hard combos for free just being faithful mm. for the first two three years and then out of tragedy mm. right the pandemic hits people are losing jobs Things are getting harder And my business all of a sudden just springboards like
1: mm.
0: because people are realizing in this social distancing space that they hate the people that they do life with so everybody's like, oh god, where did I go who we talk about relationships? Because listen, I can't, I can't. Like everybody is just in a place because they're like, relationships are hard. And so now mm. all of a sudden, because of the pandemic, friendship becomes really cool again. It's not like people want to start talking about friendship and mental health and relationships, but at the same time, I'm battling this narrative around cancel culture and ghosting and yeah. uh, all that stuff. And so yeah. now I have an enemy to, like, target. I'm like, I'm anti-cancel culture. I don't go, like, all this stuff. And people are like, who is this girl? Like, she is just mm-hmm. shaking stuff up on the internet. Yeah. And in 2020, in 2020, I, I did what I, I knew to do. I just made digital products. I charged a little bit of money for them. People bought them. I started a little coaching program for, like, 500 bucks a seat. And it was fine. But in 2021, at the top of 2021, I met a man named Myron Golden, who... Mm-hmm first thing that he told me was you need to raise your prices he's like if people are buying your stuff and they like what you do and you become an authority in this space you need to charge and I'm like well what you talking about right and he was like you need to charge like five thousand dollars for but I was like baby let me tell you something I ain't charged more than five hundred dollars for nothing in the last several years like that ain't gonna work Mm -hmm. he was like well what what do you have to lose because you're not selling a five thousand dollar product right now so if you sell if you create one and then no one buys it, you're still in the same place. So he was like, You should do that. And that's exactly what I did. I took his challenge, his five day challenge, the make more offers challenge. Uh, at the end of it, I he offers to, you know, join a coaching program, which I was like, I'm not there, but I can go do what you've asked me to do. And I did, and in three days, you know, of, of making this offer for the six-month coaching program had four women say yes to it so i made like over twenty thousand dollars in three days and i was like i've never even what are we talking about and so i took that money i went back to his challenge the next month and i said i just wanted to tell you that what you what you told me to do it worked and he was like really you that dj from indiana ain't you and i was like i am and he's like i love to hear it and i was like well i'm gonna take this money that i just made and pay you to coach me for a year and he had a little baby he has a lot of programs but he had a little baby boot camp program that i was like oh yeah i want to be a part of that and so i just took that money paid him and was able to kind of replicate and duplicate those results over and over and over again month to month i created a five-day challenge that i had a high ticket offer for at the end of it and i just started helping women at like this really high level i created then an inner circle for myself that was like a ten thousand dollar product and I just started scaling my business. I was like, I have never like, I could do a challenge and make 20 grand a month or, you know, like it was in in the world that we're in now, you know, that that feels like crumbs, right? But it was life-changing money for me at the time. Cause I was like, what is this? And sure enough, Myron ended up having a live event that I attended and we hit it off really well. And I was able to leverage the art of connection in that space. and. Um, when, when over, when him over in person, he had already just kind of fallen for, for my story and my success, you know, like over online, but then meeting him in person and him seeing, oh, this, this woman is who she is online. Like also in person, it kind of just developed a little bit of a relationship there, but that, I mean, that was it. And when my program ended, I think I ended up being in for like a year and a half. And then I, I told myself I wanted to use my resources to kind of expand my team. So I actually ended up hiring an agency instead of like ascending into other programs and, One of the people that I hired is in his Inner Circle program. And so I'm telling y'all this story just to kind of let you know where I've landed in my journey as an entrepreneur right now. And that is, uh, I'm doing life at this agency for like six, seven months. And I get on a call one day and for whatever reason, we missed, our wires were crossed about when we were meeting. And we weren't supposed to meet that day, we were on the call and he just just passively goes, oh, did you know Myron's hosting a, a, a live event in June? And I was like, for real? Because he had kind of told his inner circle before he had announced it to the public. So I was like, for real? He was like, yeah, like you should tap in and see if, you know, he needs an MC or something. Because I had joked about the fact that I'm like, you need an MC. You need to stop doing your, like doing all of the things at your event. And I was like, bet. So because I had built great relationships with his team, I immediately text Laura. Hey, is Myron doing an event? And two, do y'all need a host? And she goes, yes and yes. And I was like, bet. Like, let's get on a call. We talked that day and I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. Like I'm about to host Myra's event. Like this is going to be awesome. I can do this in my sleep, right? Mm -hmm. Can I tell you that before the end of that call, she stops me and is like, hey, I think we need you in a different capacity. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, what other capacity is there? She's like, I think you should like plan this event. Like, because during, and, and this is kind of a going back, during all those years that I was a DJ, I also had a second company called All Things Creative where I actually was the creative director for some live events and Christian big Christian conferences in the country. So I would do stuff with like Legacy Conference that was a thing in Chicago. Um, I would do, yeah. um, I would do like different Young Life conferences, Crew, Impact, like all kinds of stuff. And so <laughs> I was like, i very well, I was on tour with on Stage at one point. He's a really popular comedian. Oh, wow. um, yeah. I produced a few like shows and like, like, so I had, I was DJing, but behind when I wasn't DJing for the patients, I was DJing people, so to speak. Like I was like helping events kind of flow behind the scenes. And so people didn't know that, but I had, I did that for like seven years. And so, wow. uh, so she's asking, I'm like, well, I could do it, but I haven't done it in a long time. And I'm like, does this even make sense? So she's like, I don't want you to ask me. She was like, I want you to talk to Myron. She was like, he will call you before the end of the day. He calls me before the end of the day. He says, KB, I hear that you plan events. And I'm like, I don't plan events, but I do create experiences. And he goes, oh, tell me what that means. And I explained to him, again, what I have done since graduating college and going to work for that ministry, I have a a keen ability to create experiences with people, whether it be through conversation, whether whether it be through music, whether it be through putting together a program or an agenda for something, whether it be through laugh. Like I just am really good at creating connection through experiences. And I was like, for your event, this is what I think you need. And so I mapped out what I thought he needed. And he was like, after about 10 minutes, he goes, KB, I'm gonna stop you. And he was like, so do I need to just write you a check now? Or do you wanna submit a proposal? And I was just like, what are we talking about? And he's like, man, I I really um, think that you're, you're, you would be a great person to do this job. And that was the beginning of a five day selling negotiation thing which is so ironic because he's the man that taught me how to sell and now I'm trying to sell him right (laughs) on his event and he's the king of selling so I'm like I can't sell him but then I'm also like "I I can't do what he taught me to do though you know and um that one opportunity not only opened up a door with him but opened up a door with more people of influence like him and I have been able to secure multiple six figure deals like over half a million dollars worth, you know, like um, in, in work and in deals, tapping into my gift in this way. And when I when people are like, how did this even come about? Like, I thought you posted videos on Instagram. My mama don't even know what I did. My mama asked me all the time, I'm like, Crazy, what are you doing And I was talking to Miss Carol? And she asked me how you were doing. I told her you were fine, but she wants to know what you did. And I told her I didn't. I was like, no, you can tell them whatever you want to tell them. Cause again, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, all I do is make connections that's all i do is make connections and if somebody asks me to make a connection with music i'll pull out my turntables and i'll do it if somebody mm-hmm. asks me to make connections with at an event i will put together a team of avengers and assemble a program agenda and think through every aspect and creative element of that experience in order to foster connection or an environment for selling that serves you at the end of your event right If somebody's asking me to create connections with a stranger on the street, like I talked to I mean, the amount of homeless people I talk to, because again, at the end of the day, like I'm here for the inner city. So I love talking to homeless people. I love talking to people with, like, because I believe everybody has a story and you don't truly see someone until you hear their story, but you can't hear someone's story unless you're good at connecting and they feel safe to tell you their story. So I'm always asking questions. I'm always talking to people. I speak to everyone everywhere I go, because I'm like, I don't want to miss an opportunity to see people and I don't want to miss an opportunity for people to see God, mm. right? Um, because the more and more I get to see people, the more clearly I get to know God and his heart for people. But the more and more I'm looking for opportunities to see people, people feel seen by God. You know what I mean? Mm. They're like, man, like that felt like a God moment because she met a need. She asked me a question. I was on the verge of killing myself. What? Like I've heard so many stories and it's not because I'm so amazing and I'm so great. I've just tapped into my gift and I just do it unapologetically. I show up and I shine everywhere I go, and it has literally set me up. And what? So this is the last thing I'll say because I, I just be rambling. But which is good. When I tell you, I sit in a room for an event like the one you know Myron does, and it's so funny because I'm sitting in that room with a headset on, and I'm talking to a lot of people. I'm talking to front of house, back of house, my stage manager, production, everybody. And what's funny is I know exactly what the person on stage needs to hear because I know what it feels like to be on stage. I'm also talking to the side of house speaker or, or the side of house production company who's upset that whoever is talking isn't holding the mic to their mouth right and so i'm then reminding my stage manager hey before you send them out make sure you tell them to eat the mic like to because people get up there they get nervous and all of a sudden that mic just like kind of sinks down here and now they're talking and they think people can hear them but the the production guy on the side is pissed because he's trying to turn the volume up but every time he turns the volume up the speakers start feeding back and so he's like oh tell them to just put the mic in front of their mouth like you know but people aren't trained on how to do that so it's not a default it's not a default move right and so I'm, I'm trying to talk him down. I'm trying to tell the stage manager, hey, try to get the speaker to, you know, because the speaker is nervous about going on stage. They're not thinking about how am I holding this mic? They're trying to remember no. what they're trying to say, right? right? And so I'm also talking to the lights guy and thinking about the transition and I'm cueing the DJ and all the things. Why? Because I've actually played all the different roles in the room at some point. And so now as I sit here and I do what I do now, I'm like, man, you were preparing me in that high school talking to that teen mom you know that that one day you were preparing me when i was stressed out trying to figure out if my best friend was dead or alive in the midst of a mass shooting like you were preparing me you were preparing me she, when she
1: lived right
0: she did mm-hmm, she did um okay. um you she you were preparing me when my mom told me that she was gonna we were, she was getting married and we were gonna move at four like you know you were preparing me all those birthdays and Christmases my biological father promised to be a part of but wasn't you were preparing me you were preparing me for um moments like this when you were showing me what it looked like for hundreds of Kenyans to gather at an experience that didn't have any lights sound electricity program haze none of that but yet something was happening in that space that wasn't relying on the production so I'm like Mm. you you were preparing me being able to see that and 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 so now when I think about my story, I'm just like, and I literally for 10 years was in an arena with thousands of people watching a production happen, like listening to people on a headset, talk to each other about things, which again was preparing me to know how to do that for the events that I would then host. And so now I have the privilege of being one of the most, um, well eventually becoming the most sought after individual for live events. Specifically in spaces for entrepreneurs who are trying to sell a high ticket offer, and how did we get there? Again, the story feels very random, <laughs> but but all of these all of these different stories I told you guys have led to this one opportunity. The, 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 these opportunities, and I'm just I just laugh because I'm like, God, it, you were weaving a thread through the whole thing, but on paper that thing feels so random, so random, so. Wow. That's
1: that. That's the story. Hey B, that is so amazing. Uh, it's a beautiful journey. And um, I thank you for sharing that whole process, right? Because a lot of times people see the glory, they see the success, but they don't know all the building blocks and everything that you had to become, all that you had to do to be to, to build to this level, the development, the discovery. And then comes the distribution, so uh, it's phenomenal. And I and I have to say, um, we got a chance to meet at a, at an event with Myron's, and, and I, I noticed something that you did, and I was like, "This is this is your heart posture," and I'm not surprised that every blessing that's coming into your life. So now I'm
0: like, "Oh Lord, what are you about to say? <laughs> what do you
1: see?" <laughs> so, so the event was going on, and and, and Myron was speaking, and some either Myron or some one of the students or somebody was speaking and the mic was cutting out you know and there's an audio team there that's trying to sort things out but i think they're preoccupied or doing something and you just charge from your seat go to the go to the booth move some some tweaks make some things sound much clearer sounds much better and you just took your initiative to serve Right, nobody asked. You. you're not in that capacity in the in, in that room, you're not in that capacity to do that. <clears throat> you didn't that wasn't your job, you didn't have to do that. You just took initiative, and I'm just like, you know, and I'm here's in your story. I'm like, no wonder uh you're seeing the blessing in the hand of God, because you have a heart to serve mm-hmm. and 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 you're 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 reaping the benefit of being a servant, servant and serving others. So that was a precious moment for me seeing that and as a former DJ, I you know, uh i i see all those things but it wasn't even about djing it was about your care and concern for what's going on in the room this, might, this can impact somebody's hearing or of what what they might need in that moment and your intention your your intentionality in that now knowing behind the scenes how you think you were intentionally looking at this from probably five different vantage points yeah <laughs> yeah
0: which is so funny because when I try to explain people, I'm, I'm now leading a team and trying to teach people how to do what I do. And they, it, it doesn't connect the same way. Cause they're like, we're not even thinking about that. And I'm like, well, that makes sense. But my experiences have taught me to think about all of those vantage points, right? Not just, you know, all oh, the sounds sounding bad. It's just, this is distracting, but it's like, what if it's distracting people from hearing the one thing that they need to hear to change their life, right? So I'm thinking about it, not just, this is a, not just distracting, Audibly, this is distracting the connection. I don't want that to happen. I want people to f- be fully engulfed in the connection and not to miss a thing. But at the same time, what's so funny is you know, we've my husband and I, he's on staff with the ministry um, for like the last 18 years, and we have committed our life to the inner city still. So although the Lord has given us more resources than we need, um, we still choose to live very much so below our, our means in the hood, essentially. <laughs> So I walk down the street with my Cane Corso and I say hey to little random boys on their bikes. And, you know, we talk about how my dog is so big and, you know, it still matters to me to 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 see people who are marginalized and being pushed to the fringes. At the same time, though, I would get dressed that night and go hang, you know, with people who those little boys are watching on TV. You know, like I would, so it's like, I get to talk to this little boy, but I also know that I'm about to go to work and see the, the man that he has idolized wow. named LeBron James at work. And we will rub shoulders in the parking lot. Like, you know, like that, that'll, you know, and what I have noticed in my work is that what LeBron James needs, what those little boys need, what every woman who's struggling in friendship needs, what entrepreneurs need, what events need is all the same thing. And that is deep, deep meaningful connection wow um, and so when i'm in that space I'm, I'm thinking about all of them i'm thinking about the people who everybody's you know looking at and impressed by i'm also looking at the people who are sitting in the back and feel a little bit on the fringes i'm, yeah. I'm paying attention to it all because it all needs to be seen and so that's, yeah
1: that's amazing kb i just got i know we're a little bit over time i just have two two short questions if that's okay. cool
0: yeah i'll be like
1: okay no 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 this has been phenomenal um so the question i have first is how does somebody with this same gift of connection like you take this gift of connection and develop it and make it like how to how how, if i had if i'm listening if i'm a young girl young boy listening to this and i feel a burden to connect people i feel a burden about connection how do i take this gift and develop it
0: great question um if that is you if you have listened if one of you've listened because i've been talking so if you still listening at this point like you you hear right um i would say that for anybody who is passionate about connection know that you have one of the greatest assets that this generation needs that the world needs right now and so don't downplay it you know lean in and really uh, own it because what the world needs more than anything right now are people who know how to connect like period and unfortunately because of how technology and innovation has kind of unfolded it's hindering people's ability to connect with other people which is leading people into suicidal ideation and isolation and depression and all those things are up right now because people don't know how to connect generations are not being taught how to do what we do face to face eye to eye heart to heart and so if you're passionate about that like you are sitting on a cash cow in in the sense that you really could leverage the art of connection to transform your life forever. Um, what I would recommend you do is to think about your desire to foster connection or to create connection in spaces, and then identify who you want to serve. So I've always wanted to serve people in the context of a city, marginalized people, people on the fringes, um, the least of these, those at the end of the table. Like I've never I never wanted to be serving the upper echelon of whoever, but I needed that season to help me be comfortable in spaces that I'm in now because I walk into a room Mm. full of entrepreneurs now that are making six and seven figures in a day. And as amazing as that is, nothing in me is like, Oh, I have to impress these people because I just, I'm like the people that I have been around for the last decade aren't doing what y'all are doing the way you're doing it, but they have far more clout, notoriety, whatever. So I just, I'm not easily like moved in that way, but I say that to say, if you are like, well, I wanna do this too, then I would just recommend that you figure out who you specifically you wanna serve. And once you do that, then you take your gift and you you tell yourself, well, my gift then needs to be the solution for this person that I wanna serve. And you figure out how to do it. Cause, you're, cause your gift really is just the bridge to a person, to where somebody is and where they wanna be. And so for me, if my get this connection then I'm finding people who are struggling with connection And then I position my gift as the bridge that will get them from where they are to where they want to be. Like you need connection to get here. So we know Myron's event, Myron needs the art of connection in order to, for his event not to be like every other event, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, What millennial woman navigating, you know, struggling to build community in her 30s needs connection to find her tribe and to do the thing, Mm -hmm. right? So. Whatever your gift is, figure out who you want to serve and ensure that your gift is the actual solution to their problem. If you want to serve a group of people who don't actually need your gift to solve their problem, then you have to rethink about who you're serving. So that's where I would start in that in that process. What what uh what? I hope I answered that. Was that helpful? Oh yeah.
1: Yes, very helpful. So how can people like want to work with you? You know, they're hearing this. Hey, I want to learn and develop my skills and connection. Either I, maybe I don't have the connection gift, but I need your connection solution or. <laughs> I'm on the other side of where I need to want to, I want to develop my connection ability gifting. And I want to work with you. How do, how do people connect with you to, to do that?
0: Yeah. Great question. First things first, um, if you yourself are like, Hey, I want to grow my ability to navigate or learn the art of connection and navigate connection in my life, whether it be in your personal relationships or whatever, I would recommend that you just, you follow me on Instagram um at heart combos and so Heart combos is um my social media platform that has a wealth of just content i am super findable on the internet so if you type in h-e-a-r-t convos c-o-n-b-o-s you can take a deep dive into all the things that i've taught over the last five years and so you can google me and See TED Talks that I've done. I did a TED Talk called Nine Ways to Tell If Your Friends Are Trash. You can go on my YouTube and watch some shorts. TikTok is, my agency has kind of put me in that space. I don't actually get on TikTok, but I think I'm there. Um, But on Instagram, there's just a lot of content. And the deeper dive you take, the longer form content you'll see and the deeper that I used to go into things. You know, with the culture of reels and stuff now, a lot of things feels very like chopped up and short, but you can can just go and learn. Um, I do have Mm -hmm. a five-day challenge called the Make Better Connections Challenge. I have not done that challenge in a while. I probably won't be doing it in a while, for a little while. So um, that's not really an option right now. But if you go to makebetterconnectionschallenge.com, maybe you can see when the next one will be. Um, I have a, a live event that I do called Friendcation Experience. It's a three-day weekend event for women where friendship is the focus. And so if you're a female and you're like, I just want to find some great friends. Or you're like a woman in friendship and you like, hey, my, me and my friends need something to do Labor Day weekend. Uh, Friendcation will actually be hosted in D.C. this year, and we're putting on an incredible experience for about 200, 250 women. Super excited about that. Um, This is the second one we would have done. And it's really just a good time, but also an opportunity to learn and go deep around the art of connection for friendship. So that's what I would give to you if you want to do that personally and in your relationships. If you want to um, learn from me how to do connection in corporate spaces or with events or in all that, that kind of stuff. I would just say you could email me at KB at Heart and just let, let you know, let, uh, let me know that you heard me on this particular podcast and then we can figure out how you can get in, involved. There might be an opportunity for you to volunteer at a live event or to serve in some way because there's just so many doors opening up right now. I will need to leverage a team of connectors. And that's one of the prerequisites for people that I work with. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care how much money you got. If you don't understand connection i won't do it and which is the one reason i said yes to this podcast because i don't know you like Mm. personally we don't have all this history but i know in the moments that i have interacted with you the connection was there i was like okay he does people he does connection he cares about people and not everybody in the rooms that i go into do that well and i can tell immediately i tell people all the time within three minutes of meeting somebody i know exactly what my intentions are and what i'm willing or not willing to do with that person and after meeting you i was like uh, I really like him, but then when you came back around, I was like, uh, "Hey, would you want to do a podcast?" Absolutely, like because I knew what I was going to get based on just those few interactions I had with you. And so, people who are great at connection are like that is a prerequisite for me even even working working with people. So yeah, that's that's beautiful. Thank
1: you for sharing that. I I, pro- I know I said last question. This is the absolute last question. I no, promise. you it.
0: What's up, What's up? <laughs>
1: So, so we asked this question on on the show to everyone you weren't prepped on it you didn't get a, a heads up on it no one does what's the difference between one's gift and one's purpose one's gift and one's purpose Hmm. what's
0: the difference between your gift and your purpose I believe that your gift is just a tool for which you fulfill your your purpose um your purpose is um the reason behind it's kind of like your north star right so here's the thing about connection so i've kind of used this Now that you're talking about purpose, I'm like, okay, well now you're opening up another can of worms. But one of the things that I teach in my inner circle programs is this idea of your North Star. Your North Star is your, not just your why, people have like whys in life, but your North Star is the thing that guides you literally in everything that you do. So technically connection, deep, meaningful connection is my North Star, right? My gift by which I model connection could be communicating, could be uh, being a DJ, could you know it's kind of like talents so to speak and so um you talked about the talents i think your gift is really just the thing that you have a skill in you're gifted at and some of that is learned and developed some of that is just instilled in god's sovereignty from birth right so that's what that's what i would say your gift is something that you can either work at and develop or it's something that's just been given to you and it's just there but that should be a tool that you use every single day to follow your north, your north star. So your purpose and your talent, or your purpose and your gifts, should not conflict. They should align with one another. Um, which is why, if my purpose is to is deep, meaningful connection, it doesn't matter if I'm creating that connection as a DJ for nine years, or if I'm creating it as a vlogger for five years around friendship, or if I'm using it to do live events. And what people can get caught up in is they can get caught up in like, well. My gift is a DJ, so I can't do anything outside of DJing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm, I'm passionate about music. And I don't even, I don't really use the word passion a lot because I'm like, your gift does not require passion. And your gift won't always be passionate. Like, you know, when people get married around, oh, like, I have to be passionate about it. I'm like, well, when you're not passionate about it, you're going to think that you're not aligned. Right? You know what I'm saying? And so don't focus so much on what you're passionate about doing. Passion is, it comes and waits. Right? You know, it, it comes and it goes. It's fleeting however when you're like no i have this skill i have this gift and this gift pushes me towards the thing that i am here for if i'm not connecting in a deep meaningful way with people it's time for me to go see jesus because there's no point there's no point in me even being here so i hope that does that help
1: oh man tremendous I, I, and i say this with all sincerity this is it's this been one of the best episodes we've had um <laughs> And, and I mean this. I mean this, KB. Like you, you, you have really shown listeners through your life an example what it really means to discover a gift, to develop it, distribute it, and use it on the high level, and remain who you are with great character and integrity. Mm-hmm. Like you're a model of you're a model example of what this whole show is about, why we created this show. I just want other people to know and find what God has given them, search for it, develop it, and serve people. And you're doing all, you've done all those three things and, and, and it's not over. You're going to continue to do all those things through your, through your development journey. Cause we're never done. Right. So uh, I, so I just, I mean, that in all sincerity, thank you so, so, so much for taking the time to pour into the lives of the, myself, and the listeners.
0: Mm. Yeah, you're very, very welcome. It, it is a privilege, and thank you for inviting me to be a part of what God is doing through your platform. You know, we are being invited every single day to come alongside God and what He's doing, because He is He's constantly reconciling a lost world back to Himself. And again, yeah. He's using each of us in a different way to do that. And so, I think for me, I have believed that for the last 20 years, that God is inviting me to be a part of what He's already doing, which is why there's no pressure for, like, for me to be perfect and have it all together and all that kind of stuff like listen he already got it he just asked it. he's it's just kind of like when i asked my daughter whos six who i'm really shocked did not come into this interview at any point but literally i will invite her to be a part of something that i'm doing not because i need her to be there but because i want fellowship with her like i want relationship with her and god wants relationship with us as he's reconciling a lost world back to himself otherwise we get saved and then we can go to heaven it's like oh i've I've like become a follower of jesus now i can like take me lord they just like if he leaves us here what is it for it's so that people can see the things that you have seen um in hopes that they realize that the world is bigger than me life is way bigger than me and i am just hopefully pushing whatever attention or fame or accolade or all back up to the father you know for his glory and so um thank you and yeah anytime Ah.
1: Dear listener, I would like to thank you so much for listening to How I Discover My Gift with yours truly, David D. Simons. As a token of my appreciation, I would love to give to you my most important piece of work to date, and it's called the Purpose Gift Tape. It's a motivational mixtape geared towards helping you to identify your gifts, which ultimately lead to you discovering your purpose. This is a six track album I poured my heart and soul into. It includes beautiful beats and amazing spoken word over it. And I'd love to give that to you as a free gift, as a token of my appreciation for being a part of the community. So to get your copy, all you need to do is go to podcast.daviddsimons.com. That's podcast.david, the middle initial D simons S-I-M-O-N-S.com and get yours today thank you for being a listener i'll catch you on the next episode how i discover my gift with david d simons is proud to be of the amazing and illustrious Alive podcast network